Heavenly Father, we know that your word is good and right, and it is true. It is the best. So would you take these words, and would you help us to understand what they mean for us? Make us different people. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello, everybody, and hello to those of you who are watching online. It is great to be with you today. Let me just get situated here. I'm just going to have a little moment. Uh, when I was in college... Uh, I had a friend who was a little bit different than uh, everyone else that I knew at the time. Uh, I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is typically on sort of like that top 10 list of party schools. It was a little chaotic and crazy. Uh, this guy was different. He respected people, treated them well. He always had something positive to say. Uh, he was hopeful no matter what situation he was in in his life. Uh, he was athletic, one of the biggest guys that I knew at the time, uh, but he was humble, and he was generous, and he was kind. He was fun to be around, but uh, he could never be pressured into doing something that he didn't think was right. I know, because I tried. Uh, he was one of the first Christians I ever met who was the real deal. Like most Christians that I knew up to that point in my life were either hypocrites or they were overzealous evangelists who were looking for a clever way to trap me into some sort of spiritual conversation and get me to profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. My friend was different than that. Like he invited me to Bible study, but he never shamed me for not coming. He was crazy about Jesus, but he never isolated himself from the people around him who didn't think uh, so much about Jesus. He thought in ways and did things that were counterculture. Uh, countercultural to the college life around him. And his life was this attractive display of Jesus' life in him. He changed the way I looked at Christians and the way I thought about Jesus. He's one of the reasons that I became a follower of Jesus. Now, Jesus' way is a different way. It's totally contrarian. It's opposite and contradictory to the popular practices, values, and ethics of the dominant culture that we live in. And I wanted to start with this uh, story about my friend because he creates a picture for us of what it is like to be contrarian in the dominant culture, to be a follower of Jesus. Not, now, just to clarify, I want to say that the dominant culture that we live in is the larger culture that we're part of. Dominant culture creates these sort of large-scale umbrella norms and expectations and values, like the values that are placed on power and success and being good-looking. Now, there are, a couple, there are lots of reasons to be contrarian, but I want to give us a couple before we start into the passage. And the first one is this. Jesus shows us that living counterculturally is the way to better, fuller life. Like, it's the weak who get made strong. It's the meek who are blessed. It's the humble who get lifted up. It's those who lose their life that find it. Those are the people Jesus uses to transform culture around them like my college friend. And one way to counter the anger, the fear, the racial tensions, uh, kind of the nasty temperament that is becoming more and more present in our culture these days is to follow Jesus' contrarian way, that we would be different people, people who show a radical kindness, a greater compassion, a sacrificial love, 
that as followers of Jesus, we would be civil to all people, like that we would be kind and respectful. And even if we don't agree with something that somebody says, we'd still listen, we'd be kind and respectful, not blast them on uh, you know, Facebook or some other social platform. So that's the first reason, is that Jesus invites us through contrarian living into a fuller, better life. The second reason to be a contrarian is that we make Jesus look good because he is good. We grow Jesus' reputation. Now, in the passage that Ryan read, God tells Jeremiah, I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for, for what? Read it with me. For my renown and praise and glory. See, God chose to display his goodness through Israel so that God's reputation would grow, so that God would become internationally famous, so that the non-Jews that lived around them would want to worship and praise God too. And in the same way, Jesus shows his goodness through us. We make Jesus look good because he is good. So there's a couple of reasons for being contrarian. And in the story that we read, it contrasts Jeremiah's faithfulness to, Israel, uh, to Judah and Jerusalem's faithlessness. And Jeremiah is the contrarian in this passage. His actions are cult countercultural. He's the exact opposite of the way that Jerusalem and Judah have been living. And God wants to use Jeremiah in this passage to transform the people around him. There are three characteristics that show up in this passage uh, about uh, being contrarian. And the first one is this. The contrarians, we feel differently than the dominant culture around us. We our heart is different, so we feel differently. Ezekiel 26, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, this is the heart that Jesus wants to give us. And if we're followers of Jesus, it's the kind of heart we try to live with and love others with. God uses the experiences that we go through in our lives to shape, to create our heart, to create the attitude of our heart, the posture of our heart, so that our heart becomes more and more like Jesus' heart for the world. And that's what's going on in this passage. If you notice, God doesn't speak to anyone but Jeremiah. He's just speaking to Jeremiah. And God doesn't give Jeremiah a message to tell all those people about. The linen belt, it symbolizes Jerusalem and Judah. So the story is about them, but it's not for them. This story is for Jeremiah. God has Jeremiah go buy a linen belt and wear it. God has Jeremiah go and hide it between some rocks by a river. And then uh, God has Jeremiah go dig it back up and see that it's ruined. And then God only tells Jeremiah what all this means. And the point is that God is doing that to shape Jeremiah's heart. God wants Jeremiah to know what breaks God's heart so that Jeremiah's heart breaks over the same things. God wants to grow Jeremiah's compassion for Jerusalem and Judah because according to this passage, they're in big trouble if they don't return to God. Now, God wants to grow our love for him and give us greater compassion for the people around us who don't know him. 
So God uses the things that are going on in our lives, our circumstances, our situations, uh, the things that we're going through. He uses those like this experience of the linen belt for Jeremiah. God uses those to shape our heart. Now, uh, just uh, this last week, I returned from a mission briefing on uh, the Christian movement among Muslims in the Middle East and in Europe. Uh, and during the briefing, one of the briefing leaders interviewed a man over Skype who'd been in prison for his faith for five years for being a Christian. He's married, he has some children. He hasn't seen them since he was incarcerated. He converted from Islam to Christianity a number of years ago, and he was uh, immediately trained as a pastor. But then one day, there was a knock at his door. He went to answer the door, and it was the officials. They came, they arrested him, and uh, the other church leaders were with him for subverting national security. He was sentenced and sent to one of the most brutal prisons in his country. He's kept in solitary confinement, blindfolded, sleep-deprived, and he underwent severe interrogations almost daily. That, happened, that went on for a year. And then they finally moved him to another prison uh, where uh, there was an uprising. He ended up being badly beaten. Finally, after five years, they released him. And as we talked with him, he shared how deeply grateful he was for the prayers of the Christians here in the United States who prayed for him while he was in prison. And he said those prayers and the scriptures that he had memorized uh, gave him hope and strength every day that he was in prison. Now, he wasn't bitter or resentful at all, which was surprising to me. In fact, he was the exact opposite. I was blown away by the love and the joy and the peace this guy had as he talked with us. And near the end of the conversation, the interviewer asked him, he asked, what have you taken away from this experience? And uh, this man said, the, I, I've learned that the highest manifestation of love is suffering. Mike, we are willing to suffer for the people we love the most, like our kids. And then he said, I learned how much I love Jesus. Now, God used his experience, as brutal as that was, as painful as it was, God used that experience to shape his heart, the attitude of his heart, the posture of his heart, so that his heart would be more like Jesus' heart. And now, he has this deep love for the many, many Muslims who live in his country who still don't know the light and love of Jesus. Now, how does that happen? like incarcerated for being a Christian, and yet loving people in that way, holding no grudges. Only Jesus does that, right? Only Jesus does that. And I have always felt so privileged to be with Christians like him who live in some of the most difficult places in our world. And I am humbled because they choose to stay in those circumstances. They stay there so that they can be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's so contrarian, so different than the dominant culture around him. And God is using him to change people's lives. That's the first characteristic of a contrarian, that we feel differently. We feel differently because we have a different heart. Second characteristic of a contrarian is that we see things differently than the dominant culture. 
We have a different perspective. We see the world as God sees it. We look at the world through a different lens to see a world that is filled with people made in the image of God, people created to flourish and to thrive. And so we look at everyone, no matter who they are, age, stage, color, gender, poor, homeless, or whatever situation they are in, and we see these people as people who have great potential and immeasurable value. We look deeper than their circumstances so that we can see the, God, the people God created them to be. Now, I'll be the first to admit that some folks are harder, to, it's harder to get there than with others. But that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Seeing the world from God's perspective, it totally changes everything. It helps us to see what God is up to. And let me give you an example. For the last 25 years, many Christians have been praying for the 1040 window. And this is a rectangular shape that goes across the world map that spans from North Africa, uh, Middle East, and Asia. And we've been praying for that area of the world because nearly 62% of the 3.6 billion people who live there don't know Jesus. Like they've never heard about Jesus, and there's no way to eat for them to even respond to Jesus. And many of these countries are predominantly Muslim countries. With the Arab Spring in 2010, the rise of ISIS or Daesh, and the war in Syria, as you know, this refugee crisis has developed, and millions of people are moving out of their countries. But they're moving into places where they have close proximity and now relationship with Christians. Now, Bell Press has been sending money uh, to our ministry partners to help with food, clean water, and medical supplies for these refugees. And the dominant culture looks at what's going on, and they're scared to death. They're afraid of this. Contrarians look at this through God's eyes, and we see God's hand in this, that this is a divine moment. Like, we've been sending missionaries to this area of the world for decades, and there's barely been breakthrough. But now... Jesus is meeting these folks in refugee camps and bringing them to Europe and North America where they are in close relationship, contact with Christians. And as a result, Muslims are turning to faith in Christ in unprecedented numbers. Like nothing like this has happened in history. Seeing the world through God's perspective, it helps us understand that this is a historic opportunity to show Jesus' amazing love, kindness, and mercy to people who don't know him. So contrarians, we feel differently because our hearts are different, and we see things differently because we're looking at the world from God's perspective, through God's lens. And third, contrarians do things differently than the culture around us. Now, we show up in the hard places, we, we uh, uh, the hard places of people's lives. We go where no one else goes. We do the hard stuff. For Jeremiah, what that meant was that he was persistently calling the people around him to return to God. And no matter how much they rejected him, and as you've been going through this series, you know that he's gotten a lot of rejection, but Jeremiah never gave up. That was his hard place. And this is one of the characteristics that I love about this church, that I love about you, that we go to the hard places. We go to places like Rwanda and South Sudan and Cambodia and the Middle East, 
Many of you have resettled, uh, uh, some of you have resettled refugees in the past, like in our earlier church history, and some of you are working on ways to do that now. Today, we're celebrating five years of Renew. Like five years ago, we started a home, a, homes, a girls' home and a boys' home for students at Eastside Academy who were at risk of not succeeding in school because of their family situation or because they were homeless. And you showed up. You've given, you gave financially to support those homes. You mentored those kids. You changed their lives. And as you probably heard during the announcements, you can join us upstairs at 1215. You can come back, uh, join us to hear more stories, see some pictures about what God has been doing there. Now, I have heard so many stories about how you have showed up in the hard places of people's lives. People going through depression or terminal cancer or a messy relationship, walking with them, loving them, praying with them, bringing them a meal. That's how we do things differently than the dominant culture around us. And that's what made those first Christians so notorious. Now, the School of Joy was founded in 1993 in Bet Sahur, which is just a few miles from where Jesus was born. The school was started by a Catholic priest who felt this nudging from God to do something about the number of special needs kids and orphans who were dropping out of school and just roaming the streets. So he founded this school, he found and recruited six teachers. He could only pay them less than half of their uh, normal salary. Uh, and the more time he spent with these kids, well, the more he just fell in love with them. And they're great kids. And the amount of tuition collected from the parents couldn't sustain the school, so he found himself having to reach out to the international community and different foundations for funding. For 24 years, this priest has been at this. He struggled to provide enough funding, uh, he, uh, recruit and train enough staff, get enough desks and machines to keep this school going. But he says, by God's grace, his, he's been able to do it. And today, this school serves 54 special needs kids and orphans. One priest, just one priest. He's bringing hope and joy and he's helping kids with learning disabilities get an education. Now, being obedient to this nudging that God gave him, this priest finds, uh, founds this school, recruits some teachers, and brings in the first uh, class of students, and then finds himself falling in love with them. The more time he spends with them, the more he loves them. God was changing his heart. And then he started to see them differently. He saw them as kids with immeasurable value and potential not just as special needs kids or orphans as the dominant culture around him was seeing them. He worked long hours to get the funding they needed. He showed up in the hard places of a Palestinian neighborhood. And that school is making Jesus look good because he is good. Jesus shows us that to become great, we need to humble ourselves and serve others. To find our life, we need to give it away and serve others. In Jesus' contrarian way, it's the meek who get blessed. It's those who hunger for justice and righteousness who get filled. It's those who mourn that get comforted. That's the kind of people Jesus is asking us to be, contrarian to the dominant culture around us. So here's your homework. We have options today. Option number one, 
For the 40 days of Lent, got 36 now, do one simple act of kindness for somebody each day that shows the love and sacrifice of Jesus. Option number two, join a contrarian ministry of this church, like the justice ministry that's out in the lobby. Or option number three, pray this prayer. Jesus, show me who is in a hard place today and show me how I can show them your love. So Jesus, our prayer is that you would make us contrarian people that through us, you would make yourself look good. Give us a new heart, Jesus. Give us new eyes to see. Give us different hands that we would bring you glory and fame and renown. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.